This evening we're continuing our series on spiritual warfare. We have uh, a, a few more as we work through the rest of Ephesians 6. Tonight is part two on the sword of the spirit. If you missed last week on the first part of the sword and the spirit, I'd encourage you to go back on our website and to uh, watch that or listen to that. I will recap a few of those points briefly tonight. Uh, but tonight we're looking at part two of the sword of the spirit. And I want to start tonight... Of course, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 10. If you want to go there in your Bibles, Ephesians 6. Those are going to be our two main texts tonight, 2 Corinthians 10 and Ephesians 6. Uh, but I want to start tonight by looking at Psalm 144.1. And I have a couple of slides I brought here tonight, and this is uh, one of them. And why don't we say this together? Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Amen. Uh, we're not talking, of course, about natural warfare. We're talking about spiritual warfare, spiritual battles. And tonight, I hope to convince you, if I haven't convinced you yet, that we are in a spiritual battle. And we need to fight with the weapons that God has given us. Let's look at here at 2 Corinthians 10, uh, starting in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh. This, again, is not a natural fight. This is a spiritual battle. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is a picture. This is what spiritual warfare is. It's not, you know, the exorcist. It's not, you know, people's heads turning around. The, the, the main focus of spiritual warfare is destroying these thoughts, these arguments, these philosophies that are anti-Christ and anti-God. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul continues this theme, this idea. Let's go over there uh, tonight, Ephesians 6. And starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. If we're going to fight spiritual battles, we cannot do it in our own strength. It has to be in the power of Christ. We sing that tonight. Here in the power of Christ I stand. I live in the power of Christ. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. How many of you know the devil has some schemes? He has some plays that he runs. We need to know what those are if we're going to be able to stand against them. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's, that's natural uh, people that that's physical in the in the natural realm the kingdom of God is not advanced uh, by the physical sword that's not how the kingdom is advanced it's not conversion by sword uh, though that has unfortunately happened uh, in uh, the the history of the church we we look back on that and we say no that that's not the way the kingdom advances we, we see here that our our fight is not against flesh and blood but against spiritual uh, entities, the rulers against, against the authorities, against the 
the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's talking about the spiritual realm. It's talking about demonic forces. Demons are fallen angels that align themselves with Satan and were kicked out of heaven by God. And now they're wreaking havoc in this spiritual battle. And oftentimes people are taken captive to do Satan's will as they believe the lies of the enemy, these, these false ideologies, these false philosophies. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, because we're waging a spiritual warfare, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We, we're living in an evil day. It's God's purpose and plan for us that we would withstand, that we would push back against the forces of darkness in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Here he goes listing this armor of God. Having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. How many of you are glad that it doesn't say most? That, that if, if we utilize the armor God's given us, all of the attacks of the enemy against us will be fruitless. That's great news. That no weapon formed against us will prosper. Extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we look at here the second part dealing with the sword of the Spirit, Lord, I pray that even tonight would serve to equip us, to ready us. Lord, that, that you are our rock who trains our hands for war and our fingers for battle. Lord, that you would equip us to be able to stand and withstand in the evil day, that we would stand firm, Lord, that we would not fall, that our feet would not slip, Lord, that our minds would not give in to the attacks of the enemy, the deceptions that are running so rampant in our world and in our culture today. But, Lord, that we would have our, our feet firmly fixed on the sure foundation, the only foundation, which is your word. Lord, I pray that it would be in our heart and in our mouth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here the sword of the Spirit, Paul clearly identifies it is the word of God. Leaving no room for confusion, he tells us plainly, this whole suit of armor that we have, there's only one weapon, and that is the sword of the Spirit, and that is the word of God. God's word is our weapon. God's word is our weapon. God's word is our weapon. It is what we fight with. The other pieces of the armor, I'm thankful for them, but they are, they are defensive. They are meant to protect us, to guard us, to keep us against the uh, spiritual attacks of the enemy. And we need them, and I'm thankful for them. But the sword is not for defense, it is for offense. It's for going on the attack. It's for taking territory from the enemy. It is our weapon. And the fact that we are given a weapon in this suit of armor, it tells us 
that we are not only to be on the defensive, but we're also to be on the offensive, going on the attack, launching spiritual offenses against the dark demonic powers and destroying strongholds, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, destroying them, laying waste to them, showing that they are totally futile, showing that, that the arguments that exalt themselves against Christ, that they have no basis, they have no sure foundation. That is what we need to be doing as we are trained in the word of God. Now, we will not, hear me in this, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again tonight, we will not win spiritual battles if we are not well trained in the word of God. If we are not skilled in the word of God, if we do not know what this word says, how in the world could we ever use it against the enemy? How in the world could we ever think that we would skillfully use the word if we don't know what it says, if we're not well trained in it? And so if we want to win spiritual battles, which we are all in, we have to be well trained, we have to be skilled in the word of God. Now, the Bible talks about two ways of, of using the word, and, and we, we looked at these last week. How many of you remember what they are? Anybody remember? The word in our heart and the word in our mouth. Romans 10.8, it says this, Romans 10.8, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the word that we, the word of faith that we proclaim. This is the gospel. That the gospel, the word of God, the truth, it must be in our hearts and in our mouths. Now I showed you last week from Psalm 119.11 that hiding God's word in our heart, what does it do? It keeps us from sin. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The first place we must apply the word and learn to apply the word is to our own hearts that we might gain victory over sin. This is step one in handling the word of God. Step one in handling the word is that I bring my heart, my life under the authority of it. I hide it in my heart. I memorize the commandments. I, by the power of the spirit, in, uh, uh, endeavor to uh, obey the word of God. And as I do that, it's, it, it, it gives me the victory over sin. To, to become skilled in the word of God, you must hide it in your heart. There's no shortcuts here. Last week I shared with you seven ways to hide God's word in your heart. I'm not going to share them again tonight, but you can go back and listen to those. I would encourage you to utilize the many opportunities that we have to hide God's word in our hearts. The second that we see again in this verse is that God's word should not only be in our hearts, but it must be in our mouths. This is us sharing the word. This is us proclaiming the word. This is us speaking the word, not just thinking it, but vocalizing the word of God. When we do this, we have the authority to rebuke the devil. I reminded you of the story of Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And what did he do when he was tempted by the devil? It is written, Jesus said. Three times with the three temptations, Jesus came back with the word of God. Under a spiritual attack of the enemy, Jesus 
spoke the word. He proclaimed the word. And again, for the word to be in your mouth, it has to be in your heart. When you come under spiritual attack, you, you must be ready and, and able to pull from the word you've hidden in your heart and begin to share it, begin to speak it, to begin to proclaim it to yourself and to others. That's what we see in 2 Corinthians 10, destroying arguments, destroying strongholds. What that does is that sets other people free who have been enslaved by the lies of the enemy. The truth of the word of God will set you free. Right? That's what Jesus says. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So as we go out sharing the truth, we're proclaiming freedom from sin, freedom from Satan, freedom from the enemy. Those who have, are, are captured by the forces of darkness, we proclaim the liberating word of the gospel and call people to freedom only found in Jesus Christ. Now where we left off last week was this picture from Revelation chapter 19. This picture we see in Revelation 19, again, uh, this, this um, allegory, this, this metaphor, this, this pictorial representation of spiritual realities that, that John describes all throughout Revelation and here we come to Revelation 19, and he sees this vision. I want to read it here again for us tonight, Revelation 19, 11. John, he has this vision. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations... And he will rule them, that is the nations, with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Listen, this is the, the victorious picture that we see of Christ at the end of the book of Revelation. And he is riding forward, not with the sword in his hand, but the sword in his mouth. And with that sword, which is the word of God, he disciples the nations. He rules the nations through his word. And he is arrayed in white and he is marching with the armies of heaven of which you and I are a part. And I would submit to you that I don't think this is just some future reality. I think this is describing a present reality where which by Christ is ruling the nations using his people, his church to proclaim his word. Not advancing his kingdom through the, the sword, in our, the natural sword, but advancing his kingdom with the sword, the word in our mouths. 
And he is victorious. He is victorious. That's where we left off last week. Now, depending on your personality, how God made you, and God made us all a little bit different. No, no two people are the same. But depending on how God made you, you will most likely tend toward one or the other of these approaches. You will either be more sword in mouth or you will tend to be more sword in your heart, word hidden in your heart. The, the tendency is to focus on one and to avoid or to neglect the other. Now, if you, your tendency is more towards, well, I'm just going to hide God's word in my heart, that leads towards this pietism, this, this sort of retreating from everything else. And making your faith just about you, my personal relationship with Jesus. And so it's all about me and, and my prayer and my personal devotion and, and my church attendance. And the sum total of your Christian faith is all, again, just about you and Jesus. But what this leads to, it leads to a retreatism. Retreating back into just, you know, me and, and Jesus, we've got a good thing going on. And, and, and I'm just so focused on purifying my devotion life and my prayer life. And so I retreat from everything and everyone else. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying, amen? There's nothing wrong with devotions. There's nothing wrong in having a personal relationship with Jesus. We need to have all of that. But if that is all we have and we never have the sword in our mouth, we're failing. We're failing. We're failing what it means to fight in these spiritual battles. Yes, we must hide the, the word in our heart. Yes, we must pray. Yes, we must have our devotions. Yes, we must attend church. Yes and amen. But that is not the sum total of our walk with the Lord. We cannot simply retreat from everything and everyone back into just this personal relationship with Jesus. Not if we're going to follow what the Word of God says. The other end of the spectrum, you might find yourself more sword in your mouth all the time. And if you only ever have the sword in your mouth but you never apply the Word of God to your heart, do you know what we call that? Hypocrisy. You're a hypocrite. You only got the good words, but none of them are ever touching your heart. When, when your words in your mouth don't match what's going on in your heart, it's just this external religion. That's what the Pharisees had. Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Don't be like the Pharisees. Which is kind of amazing because you know the Pharisees were there at Jesus' sermons. They were in the crowd. Everybody knew who they were. And Jesus in his sermon says, you see those Pharisees over there? Don't be like them. Sorry if you're sitting. I tried to point where nobody, I'm pointing, there's nobody sitting right there. Golly, I mean, Jesus, that doesn't feel very loving. Jesus, I don't know about your tone, right? Jesus, that's not very Christianly of you. Don't be like them. 
This hypocrisy where the word is only in our mouth, but it doesn't touch and transform our hearts. You know, depending on our makeup, we will tend, we will tend to, to focus on one or the other. Our personality will lean one way or the other. How many of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you can say, yeah, I agree with that. I can see how I would lean one way or the other. But we need to have both. This is not an either or. It's not either sword in my heart or sword in my mouth. It's need, we need to have a both and. Both the sword, the word hidden in our heart and both the word in our mouth. Now it starts in our heart, amen? It needs to start in our heart and Jesus taught about that. He said, don't go pulling out the, the speck in your brother's eye if you've got a plank, a log in your own eye. First, deal with your own issues. Deal with your own sin. Apply the word to your heart first. And then Jesus says you can go deal with the speck in your brother's eye. So so we need to start with ourselves. Start here before we begin to proclaim it out there. But we can't wait till we're perfect either, can we? Because that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. And so if we're waiting until, you know, you reach some sort of level of spiritual enlightenment or something that before you feel comfortable proclaiming the word of God, guess what? You will never get there. It will always be this sort of elusive goal that the, the finish line keeps moving forward and forward. It needs to be a both and. Where we wake up in the, in the morning and we, we pray and we start our day with the Lord and we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and we pray, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And all right, I know I'm not perfect. I know I've got my own issues, but I'm endeavoring to live for the Lord today and I'm gonna be proclaiming his word today. It has to be a both and. Now there is a subtle irony here And that is that even if you do apply the word to your heart and in your own life, when you begin to proclaim the word of God, no matter how much you have applied the word, you will still be called a hypocrite. You will be called a hypocrite. If you begin to proclaim what the word of God says, if you begin to go after the philosophies and the ideologies that are so prevalent in our culture today, if if you... Let's just say, I know this is very far-fetched, but let's just say you have somebody in your family that is living with someone who they're not married to. Now, I know that's hard for us to believe, uh, or that there's someone in your family that's sinning in a sexual way, and it's just open and it's public. I know that's really hard for you to imagine, but let's just say that maybe it is. And let's just say that that person also professes to be a Christian. I know that's so far-fetched. I know that's just way out there. But if you begin to go and say, and, and in love say, I'm concerned about you. This is what the word of God says. And you profess to follow Christ. But yet you live in persistent sin. I want to encourage you. I want to minister to you. I, I want to share the word of God with you. You will find within about 15 seconds, you are going to be labeled a hypocrite. And it's going to come across as this. Well, who do you, who do you think you are? You're so much holier than thou. You're, you're going to come and tell me and what you don't ever sin. You don't ever have problems. You don't ever have issues. So, so there is an irony here in that 
even if you are applying the word of God to your heart, as soon as you begin to share the word in your mouth, you are going to be called a hypocrite. I have been called a hypocrite. Who do you think you are? Now, you have to realize that when that comes, you know what that is? That's a spiritual attack. That's a spiritual attack. That is a defense mechanism by someone who's trying to protect themselves against the word of God. It is a strategy of the enemy to silence you, to shut you up. It's a strategy, and the enemy will employ it, and he has no problem pulling it out. He has no problem throwing anything out there, all of it can baseless, all of it lies, just to shut you up. And so Christians, we will be called and we will be labeled haters. We will be labeled bigots. We will be labeled racists. We will be labeled xenophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic, on and anti-vaxxer. I mean, just whatever they can throw at you just to get us to be like, I don't want to deal with this. You know, I just, I, I just want to get in my closet and pray and just have some me and Jesus time. And so we pull back. And so we retreat. When we do that, we, we sheath the sword. We put the sword away. Listen, the, the sword can do no damage. It, it cannot advance the kingdom. It cannot destroy, destroy strongholds if we've put it away. If, we've, if we're silenced. You have to understand the enemy is going to do anything he can do. Work any angle he can. Even try to bring you under condemnation. Who do you think you are? Don't, you, you did this, you did that. 40 years ago, you blah, blah, blah. Oh. You come into the condemnation of the devil. Well, Romans 8.1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So get thee behind me, Satan. I'm not perfect, but he is. And he's called me to proclaim his word. I'm not going to proclaim his word perfectly. But his word is perfect. And so I'm going to trust in him. And I'm going to trust in his word. I'm going to trust in the power of his spirit. And I'm going to step out in faith. And I'm going to speak his word. And trust that his word will have an effect in their lives. Because it's not about me. And it's not about you. See, that's the problem. We make it about ourselves. Well, I don't know this. And I don't know that. And I blah, blah, blah. Yeah, if you do that, you're never going to advance anything for the kingdom of God. If it's about you. But it's not about you. It's all about him. Isn't that what God told Moses? Remember Moses? God appeared to him in the burning bush. Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Moses, I'm going to send you with my word to go and declare it to the Pharaoh. Let my people go. And Moses is like, you, picked, you found the wrong Moses. You're on the wrong mountain. You picked the wrong guy. I stutter. I don't speak well. I, I, you don't, no, no. And God tells Moses, who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? I made your mouth. Well, I don't know. Pick somebody else, blah, blah, blah. God says, I will be with you. That tips the scales. 
You can, you can line up all of your problems. Well, I don't have this. I don't have the right education. I come from the wrong background. I, I sin this way. You know, I don't have all the blah, 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 blah. You stack it all up on the side of the scale. And man, it looks heavy. Man, it looks like it's tipping the scales. And on the other side, God says, I will be with you. Boom, done. That's it. It doesn't matter what's on the other end of the scale. If God is with us, who can be against us? Nobody. Nobody. So no matter what, if you've got the word in your mouth, you're going to be called all kinds of things. It's a spiritual attack. It's a defense mechanism of the sinful heart. You've just got to come to terms with that. You're going to be called names. We just got to deal with it. We just, we just got to... We just got to accept it. Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. We're not above our master. I mean, look what they did to him. <laughs> look what they did to him. And we, we want to be accepted. We want to be in the cool club. We, we want people to, to like us, you know. No, look at, what, look at what happened to Christ. But... He has promised, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. So whatever opposition we may face, Jesus is above it. Jesus is over it. Jesus is victorious above all of it. So we can go forward in faith. So I want to encourage you tonight to get in the fight. Get in the fight. And I'm not just speaking to the people in this room but I'm speaking to us Christians as a whole in this culture. We have got to get in the fight. You, you know people who, who call themselves Christians, friends and family members. They are not in the fight. That's why I'm saying I'm, I'm speaking beyond this room because I believe that uh, the majority of us in some way or another, we understand this. You've been showing up week in and week out on Sunday nights hearing about spiritual warfare. You know this. You're ready to engage, but let me encourage you. Part of engaging is calling those, those people who call themselves Christians that we know that are not living like they're Christians and saying, hey, brother, we got to get in the fight. Let's go. The people of God have got to embrace the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. The enemy is wreaking havoc all around us. We see it everywhere. But Christ has given us the tools and the weapons to defeat him. Isn't that what he said in 2 Corinthians 10? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but they are mighty with divine power. That is God's power. That is the power that's above every power. To do what? To destroy strongholds we have the tools we have the weapons and the word of god our sword our weapon hear this the word is the most powerful force in the universe there is nothing more powerful than the word of god there is nothing that can stand against the word of god the universe itself was created by the very word of god and then that word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Christ. And he died and rose again, 
defeating Satan, sin, death, and hell. And he has now commissioned us in terms of his word to advance his kingdom in the power of his spirit and to disciple the nations. There is no force in heaven, on earth, or in hell that can stand against the word of God. We're not to disciple the nations with the sword in our hands, but with the sword in our mouths. This is the picture of Jesus riding on the white horse with the armies of heaven, the saints of God, the sword in their mouth. Now, our culture today is under demonic bombardment, under demonic assault, under satanic influence. It's so obvious everywhere you look. I can't, I, I, I can't believe my eyes, the things that I see. It is so far beyond. I'm like, how, are we living in like a nightmare? What, what is going on? How did, how did we get here? You know, it used to be, you know, you'd turn on TV and it'd be leave it to beaver. You, now we have drag queen story hour. In, in the span of a generation. How, how did it happen? How did it go so fast and, and go so far? It's under demonic influence and the power of Satan. And the church has not stood against it. We haven't used our weapons. It's shocking. It truly is shocking. How the, the contrast. Just in, a, in you know, the span of a generation. The enemy has a strategy. The enemy has a plan. The enemy has schemes. He has a playbook that he is running. And most Christians are just oblivious. Totally oblivious. They're in that pietistic mindset that it's just about me and my Jesus. As long as I have my ticket punched to heaven, I'm good. I'll just pray, I'll just hold on, I'll just do Bible study and wait for the rapture. I'm sorry, that's not what Jesus said to do in the Great Commission. That's not the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's not what he said to do. He didn't say go hide out in the basement. He said go disciple nations. Disciple nations. The enemy has been running a playbook on our culture and, and we've just, we've, we've been oblivious. I've shared this quote before. I'm going to share it here again tonight. This is a story from a woman named Mallory Millett. You, you might be familiar with that name. You might be more familiar with her sister who was named Kate, Kate Millett. She was one of the most influential uh, feminists of the uh, 60s and 70s. And she founded now the National Organization for Women. I don't know if you've ever heard of any of that. Mallory Millett, Kate Millett's sister, recounts the story, and she tells the story on a, on a YouTube video uh, where she, and, and in a book where she writes about her involvement in 
the sexual revolution and the feminist revolution of the 60s and 70s. And she tells this story of her attending one of the early meetings for the National Organization of Women. And I want to read it to you. It is a little bit lengthy, but, but listen to this. And it helps us to understand what has been going on. She says, it was 1969, Kate, that's her sister, invited me to join her for a gathering at the home of her friend. They called the assemblage a conscientious raising group, a typical communist exercise, something practiced in Maoist China. We gathered at a large table as the chairperson opened the meeting with a back and forth resuscitation, reciting these words, like a litany, a type of prayer done in the Catholic Church. It's, it's like a catechism they were going through. But now it wasn't Catholic, it was Marxism, the church of the left, mimicking religious practice. Why are we here today, she asked. To make revolution, they answered. What kind of revolution, she replied. The cultural revolution, they chanted. And how do we make cultural revolution, she demanded. By destroying, hear this, by destroying the American family, they answered. How do we destroy the American family, she replied. By destroying the American patriarch, that is the father. And how do we destroy the American patriarch, she replied, by taking away his power. How do we do that? By destroying monogamy, they shouted. How can we destroy monogamy? And then uh, Mallory says, their answer left me dumbstruck, breathless, disbelieving my ears. Was I on planet Earth? Who were these people? How do we destroy monogamy? They answered, by promoting promiscuity, eroticism, prostitution, and homosexuality, they resounded. They proceeded with a long discussion on how to advance these goals by establishing the National Organization of Women. It was clear they were desiring nothing less than the utter destruction of Western society. The upshot was that the only way to do this was to invade every American institution. Everyone must be permeated with the revolution, the media, the educational system, the universities, high schools, K through 12 schools, school boards, etc. Then after that, the judiciary, the legislatures, the executive branches, and even the library system. Listen, the enemy's been running a play. The enemy's been running a play. Satan has been running a play to destroy what God has created, to destroy the family, to destroy uh, 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 the, the, the flourishing of human society. How did we get here? How did we go from Leave It to Beaver to Drag Queen Story Hour? The enemy ran a play and the church was not prepared. The church was not prepared. The, the church thought it was their job just to hide out in their little enclaves and, and that we could not 
preach our message. We could not proclaim the gospel because, you know, that's not loving and that's not kind and that's not inclusive and, and that's, you know, not nice and, and you, we have to be inclusive of, of all people and we have to be tolerant and, and we have to allow anybody to do anything and if we don't do that, then we're not being inclusive and tolerant. And the church just went, oh, okay. Well, I guess you're right. I'll just take Jesus and me and him will hang out in our, you know, little church and, and we'll just wait for him to come back because, you know, the world's supposed to get worse and worse anyway. And so I guess we're, it's really a good thing that everything's getting so bad. The church was woefully unprepared for the strategies that have been working in our culture. And meanwhile, instead of pushing back against the darkness with the sword of the Spirit, the church in America has been playing games. Just playing games. A few weeks ago, if I haven't offended you yet, I'll offend you here. Uh, a few weeks ago, I saw one of the largest churches in America, Saddleback Church in California, it used to be pastored by Rick Warren. Uh, they did a series at their church where they, instead of preaching the Bible, they preach movies. So they, they take a different movie every week and they tell that story instead of, you know, I don't know, Jesus' story. And so here's a picture from Saddleback Church a few weeks ago. The pastor and his wife dressed up as Woody and Bo Peep from Toy Story. That, that's on a Sunday morning. That's not at the Harvest Festival. That, that is Sunday morning church where they don't stand up and proclaim the gospel. They stand up and proclaim Toy Story. That's not even kids' church. That's to the adults. That's to the adults. The enemy is wreaking havoc, and the church is playing games. That's why we're in the mess that we're in today. That's why we're in the mess that we're in today. There's this huge part of the enemy, this strategy of the enemy... That has, has, he has worked this play on the church, telling the church that we must entertain people. We have to make people feel good. If people don't feel good, well, they won't want to come to church. And, and if we offend people, then they'll leave. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 that the gospel is the most offensive message there's ever been. It offends everybody. It offends Jew and Gentiles. It, it just, it offends everybody. So... If I try to not offend people, you know what I'm going to have to stop doing? Preaching the gospel. Preaching the truth. And so the church has turned into an entertainment center. We're, we're, we're like the, the, you know, the, the, the musicians on the Titanic who are just sitting there you know, playing Bach and the ship is sinking. Just oblivious. I can't look at that picture of the pastor and his wife dressed up as Woody from Toy Story. How many of you know he didn't get up and preach a fiery sermon from Romans 1? No, he began to exegete, you've got a friend in me. You know, their worship team singing, you've got a friend in me. It's, it's insanity. And the world is burning. And, and that methodology is exported to churches all across America. It's, it's very rare now to find 
a non-denominational church that does not do that sort of stupid nonsense on a Sunday morning. And guess what it does? It draws lots of people. It draws lots of crowds. And they walk out thinking about Woody instead of Jesus Christ. Saddleback has, I don't know, 23,000 members. Charles Spurgeon said, the day will come when instead of shepherds feeding God's sheep, you will have clowns entertaining the goats. Let me tell you, we are living in that day. We are living in that day. A big part of the, the strategy that the enemy is working in our world, he's capturing every institution. He, he's making the church ineffective. How many of you know the church that doesn't preach Christ but preaches Woody has sheathed the sword? But another part of, of the enemy's strategy is to, to get Christians to believe that there's this safe space of neutrality. That, the, you know, okay, that's it's sacred and the church is a sacred space, but, but out, as soon as, as soon as you hit Callahan Road, that's a neutral space. And you can't bring your faith, you can't bring your religion out into that neutral space. Everybody has to check their religion at the door. Well, that's a lie. That's a myth. I'm sorry, but, but these ladies weren't checking their religion at the door. How many of you know that atheism is a religion? Hello? It, it is a religious belief about God. And, and so anyone who claims, well, we're, we're all checking our religion here. This is just a neutral space. But then they bring in their atheistic assumptions. Guess what they brought into that space? Atheism. And in fact, it turns out, shockingly, that the only thing not allowed in this neutral space is Christ. You can bring anything and everything else in there. And so it, it was a play. It was a strategy that Satan worked on, ran against the church, and the church bought it. Bought the lie of the myth of neutrality. Listen, there is not a neutral atom in the universe. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 30. The words of Christ, whoever is not with me is against me. And who does not gather, gather, scatters. Jesus says, you are either with me, that means on mission with me, that means uh, seeking to expand my kingdom, proclaim my gospel, live the word. You, you are either with me or you are against me. There is no middle ground. There is no neutrality. There is no safe space. If you, are, if you are not with Christ, you are against Christ. If you are not with the nations being discipled, brought under the authority of the rule and reign of Christ, you are against Christ. And there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who would say, well, no, we have to carve out these neutral spaces to be inclusive. I'm sorry. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus said. Christ has declared that he has all authority. 
in heaven and on earth. And so anything that resists against his word and his authority is in rebellion against Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that Satan is not going to be content with the libraries. He's not content to, to just capture the schools and just capture the libraries and put drag queens in libraries. He's not content with that. Churches all across this nation are hosting drag queens. It's shocking to even see it. This is all in churches. Places where people historically gathered to worship Christ. Listen, Satan is not content to leave anything to Christ. And Christ is not content to leave anything to Satan. And if we think for one minute that we can just retreat and we'll just pull back and we'll leave them alone and they'll leave us alone, that's not going to happen. That's not how this works. That's not how this has ever worked. I want to read you a quote, and I'm starting to wrap up here. I want to read you a quote from uh, Pastor Martin Neymoller. He was a pastor in Germany during World War II. And he starts talking about what it was like when the Nazis started taking over. He says, in Germany, they came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. They came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came for me, and by that time, no one was left to speak up. Listen, if we think that we can just retreat, 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 pull back, pull back, pull back, and that we'll finally come to a place where we have a truce, and we say, you can have all of this, but just leave us here in our little churches and our little families, it's a deception. If you think that, you have believed a lie, and the enemy is running a play on you, and it is working. You must, we must all equip ourselves with the word of God and have it deep into our hearts and have it at the ready in our mouths to be able to preach, to proclaim, to share, to declare, to, to get into it with people. Because it's everywhere. Everywhere. So we, we must be equipped on... Can, can, you def, can, can you give an answer to the question, why do you say there's only two genders? Can you give an answer to that? Let me, let me rephrase that. Can you give an authoritative answer to that? Where would you take someone in the word of God? Do you know where that is? I'm talking about using your sword. Why can't a man become a woman? Where, where do you take someone in the Word of God? How, what, what passage? Do you know this? When someone says, well, words are, you know, gender's just a social construct. You know, it's all just invented. It's all just words anyway. Where do you go with that? How about this? Why can't two people of the same sex get married? Who are they hurting anyway? 
Why can't a woman end her pregnancy? It's her body, right? Where, where do you go? Do you know your word? Are you ready? It's our job to attack these strongholds, these enclaves of antichrist philosophies. Listen, this is what's going on in our world. We have to be equipped. We, we need to be ready to rise to the challenge of our day. We, we, I, we don't need to be worried about what happened 50 years ago. We need to be thinking about how do we rise to the challenge of our day with our kids, with our families, with our church, in our community. These are the challenges. That, these are the questions. These are the lies that our kids are being indoctrinated with from kindergarten to 12th grade, from Disney to everywhere else. They are feeding our kids with this nonsense. Are, are you equipped to, to apply the sword of the Spirit there? Well, what if somebody says, yeah, but there's a lot of different opinions on the Bible. Who's to say yours is the right one? Where do you go with that in the Word of God? We're talking about destroying arguments. Well, the Bible, here's one, the Bible's for you because you're a Christian, but all these other peoples, they're not, and so the Bible doesn't apply to them. Where do we go with that? What about the postmodern idea? The, 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 the truth cannot be known. You can't even know what the truth was. If there is such a thing as truth, you could never be certain of what it was. And so you have your truth and they have their truth and we all have our own truth. And, and that's, that's, that's the, the way that the world is. And so we can't be certain about anything. What do you do with that? I'll tell you what you do with that. You say, are you certain about that? You, you see, every, every argument that's not built on the final and only foundation of the word of God is a self-refuting argument. It all collapses within itself. But are we prepared? Are we equipped with the word of God to show that? We've got to get ready to fight. We've got to be equipped. Because if we don't want to take to, the fight to them, we've got to be ready because they're coming after us whether we like it or not. So we cannot be content to retreat from the conflict. We cannot be content to retreat from the world, to retreat from the culture, to hide in our churches, to carve out our own little Christian enclaves and wait for the rapture. That is not what Christ has called the church to do. He has called us to disciple not just a few people out there, but to disciple the nations. And to do it on his authority, which is to say the only authority. Think about it. If every true born-again Christian would arm themselves with the sword of the Spirit. That is to say, equipping themselves on how to use the word of God to destroy the arguments and the philosophies, the demonic ideas of our day. And not just to put that sword in their heart, but to also have it in their mouth our world and our culture would look very, very different. May we all be able to say, like the psalmist David, blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. We live in dark and evil days. The enemy's not going to sign a truce at your doorstep or at the doorstep of this church. 
if, if we're not prepared, we will be a casualty in spiritual war. It's time to put away the foolishness. It's time to put away the nonsense. It's time to put away the distractions that take our eye off of eternity, that take our eye off of what Christ has called us to do. It's time to seek first the kingdom. It's time to be equipped with the word of God and it's time to have the faith and the boldness once we've hidden it in our heart that it would also be in our mouth and we leave the rest up to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the sword of the Spirit. Your word, without question, is the definitive word. It is the final word. It is the only word that will stand. Your word is fixed in the heavens. Nothing can change it, nothing can alter it, and nothing can stand in its way. Help us, Lord, as your people to take your word, to hide it into our hearts, to apply it in our lives, to proclaim it in our families, and to have it in our mouth. Lord, we pray that you would wake us up to the realities of the spiritual battles that are raging all around us. And that you would forgive us, God, for our cowardice. Forgive us for the times where we have been afraid. Forgive us for the, the lack of faith that we have had in your word. Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and how in the world could we ever expect people to come to faith if we're not preaching your word? Lord, that we would be people devoted to you. Completely and totally sold out. Ready to stand. Ready in the evil day when the enemy runs his plays, when the enemy runs his strategy. God, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Let us not be swept away with the multitudes who are being led astray. We pray that we would do everything not for our own glory or for our own name or our own reputation. But as we endeavor to do all of these things, even as we endeavor to share your word with our, the people that we know, the loved ones in our lives, Lord, that you would help us to do it in grace and humility and with love, not for any, to make a name for ourselves, but only for the sake of your name. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.